Air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. Yeah, all, exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir. I did not. Buddy uh, Griffin's. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, wonderful. Right, exactly. Well, we better hurry up before we melt. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah's going to speak. You could talk to God. Buddy Griffin gave a helpful reminder last week, didn't he? We can talk to God, pray. Jeremiah's going to talk to God. Might not be the way you think prayer is supposed to go. All the more reason to pay attention to it. He's going to say something to God, and then God's going to respond. Here we go, Jeremiah 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Now, that's a form of prayer permitted the children of God. You can debate with God. You can. Do you know you can utter your complaint before? You should praise him for sure. You should petition him for sure. You should thank him for sure. But another legitimate form of communication is to simply share what's on your heart and mind and what's troubling you. God could take the heat. He loves to hear from his kids. doesn't mean we have to show disrespect to him, but we might as well be honest about what's troubling us. Jeremiah is... He said, I want to plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. And here's what he says. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Have you ever thought that? Do you think it today? Bible's relevant, huh? Thousands of years ago, Jeremiah, just as troubled as we are today. He saw what was transpiring in his nation. He couldn't square it with the just and righteous character of God. He saw injustice and wickedness. It seemed to go unchecked. He knew what God declared of himself, but his eyes told him something else. He saw current events. It didn't look good. And yet he knew God was good. How do you square the two? He was troubled. So are you. In fact, American Christians seem to be increasingly troubled and disturbed about what's going on. You're asking the same questions, albeit perhaps in different words. In so many words, you would like an answer from God. You don't question his goodness, his sovereignty, his holiness, his justice. Therefore, you wonder, God, what are you doing? Let's be honest. You wonder, is God asleep at the wheel? Why are the bad guys on the throne? Why does the current of the day seem to be anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christian? Why does immorality seem to be going unchecked? Why do you permit a grotesque redefinition of what marriage is so that it ceases to be marriage? Why do you permit a degradation of human life so that abortion is legal? Why do you do this, O God? Surely it's not because you're unholy, unjust. Therefore, where's the justice? 
Do you ever feel stuff like that? Yeah, so Jeremiah 2, this is a relevant text. So verse 2, you have planted them. He uses an agricultural metaphor. God, you have planted them. And in fact, they've taken root. They grow. They've produced fruit. See, it's an agriculture. It's as if God, the wicked people are prospering. And I know since you're sovereign, you permit it. You're the one who planted. How could they be planted? How could they be sustained? How could they bear fruit but that you permit it? If you're sovereign, you're permitting this. Why are you permitting it? You see what he's doing? Then he says, you're near to their lips but far from their mind. They pay lip service to you. Thank God. You know, people say that. I believe in God. Thank the big guy upstairs. You hear this kind of a thing. Because Jeremiah is saying, you know, you're near to them, but you're far from their mind, meaning heart. You're far from the heart of the matter as a concern. They just pay you lip service, and yet they seem to be prospering. Verse 3, but you know me, O Lord. You see me and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for a day of carnage. Here's what he's saying. You've set me apart for a covenant relationship, for pardon, for forgiveness, for adoption, for salvation, for service. You've set me apart. I pray that you would set them apart as well, but for judgment. Can you pray that? Yeah, but we're supposed to be a gracious and merciful, forgiving people. How could you pray that? Let me tell you something. You could pray that. Why? You can pray whatever you know to be in harmony with the stated will of God. Let me tell you the stated will of God, that none perish, but that all be saved. So he's done everything he could to make that possible. Jesus died. Now, the alternative to accepting Jesus is rejecting Jesus. Accepting Jesus means eternal life. Rejecting Jesus means the wrath of God poured out on a person throughout eternity. So it is in keeping with God's will that there be two responses to what he has provided, acceptance or rejection. Acceptance begets pardon, forgiveness, adoption, and eternal life. Rejection begets judgment. Judgment is very much in keeping with the will of God. So we pray, oh God, let somebody by your grace and mercy be saved just as I have been graciously and mercifully saved. On the other hand, if that person chooses ultimately to reject you, let that person be judged in accordance with your holiness and righteousness. You see what's, what he's saying there? Verse 4, how long have you asked that question lately? It's not the first time. It's been asked. Read Psalm 73 when you get a chance. Asaph asks the same question. Read Habakkuk when you get a chance. Habakkuk asks the same question. Two questions bother you and have bothered everyone throughout biblical history. Here they are. Why and how long? What are you going to do with those questions? Why don't you talk to God about it? So so here, Jeremiah, how long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it, animals and birds have been snatched away. Folks, the religion of the day is care of the environment. Mother nature has been given human quality. 
the impersonal physical order has been given life. We call it Mother Nature. And we bow down to Mother Nature. We go green. It's captured the world. And so we are thinking a good way to avoid the fundamental issue of pollution in me is to focus on pollution outside of me. That's the new religion. And so therefore, we talk about um, global warming, a la Al Gore, um, the brilliant scientist that he is. Uh, we talk about melting polar ice caps. Um, we talk about the ozone layer. We talk about selling your SUV and getting a more economical car. We talk about replacing uh, energy inefficient light bulbs with better ones. Look, not, not one of those things is a bad deal. That's why it's so successful. They're all distractions from the real problem. That's how Satan offers things. Do you think he offers things? Do you think he comes across with a pitchfork and horns looking like big red? No, no. Even naive people would recognize him. So he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so all this environmental religious stuff looks like a very cool thing. We can save the world. In fact, that is the mantra. We can save the world. Interesting how they borrow the, the term of salvation, to save the world. You are the world. The world is corrupted because you and I have corrupted it because we're corrupted on the inside. And so it says right here, how long is the land to mourn? The... Uh, population of the earth by sinful people has caused the very environment to cry. How long is the land to mourn? The vegetation of the countryside to wither. Here I'm finding out about how my behavior has affected the environment. For the wickedness of those who dwell in animals and birds have been snatched away. And what's the problem? Because men have said he will not see our latter ending. What does that mean? People say God is there, but not that much. He doesn't see what I do. He doesn't care what I do. I do not have to account for what I do. He doesn't see my latter ending. I can do what I choose to do in private because though I utter some lip service about God, he's not part of the equation of my life. He's not part of my present. He will not be part of my future. He does not see my latter ending. Now, you just found out the reason for the problem with the environment. You found it right there. It's because you're corrupted, and so am I. And we're living in God's world as if he doesn't matter. And even the environment is affected by it. So, uh, Jeremiah has uttered his peace in four verses. God did not rebuke him, yell at him, or anything. He said, he didn't say, don't talk to me like that. But he is going to respond. So now that Jeremiah is done... From verse 5 on, God responds in an interesting way. Check it out, verse 5. If you, it's God now speaking to Jeremiah, if you have run with footmen and they've tired you out, how are you going to compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how are you going to do in the thicket of the Jordan? What's he saying there? If you read it too quickly and don't think about it, 
and don't try to harmonize it with the rest of Scripture, you might get the message that God is saying, Jeremiah, stop being such a wimp. Toughen up. Stop being such a crybaby. You might hear God as the football coach. Jeremiah, when the going gets tough, yeah, tough get going. That may work in football, but it doesn't actually work from a biblical perspective. The Bible does not say be strong in your strength. It says be strong in the might of the Lord. The Bible does not say be strong. In fact, it says you are weak. It says God is mindful you are but dust. In fact, Paul says when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's the opposite of what the world says. There is no incentive in the Bible for you to get tough. In fact, it's the opposite. It's for you to go down, not up. It's for you to put less confidence in you, more confidence in him. So that being the case, here's what I think he's telling Jeremiah. You tell me if you think this is right. Now, I know you will. And that's good. I mean, that's good. Um, I don't think he's telling Jeremiah to get tough. I think he's saying this. Jeremiah, here's the deal. You are unduly focused on the wicked people in your world. I got it handled. I'm focused on you. Jeremiah, you are unduly focused on the circumstances in your world, but I'm focused on your response to the circumstances in your world. So he said, Jeremiah, let me put it to you. I'll get to the wicked later. I'll give you a little glimpse into my plan for the world. You'll see it in just a few verses. But right now he's saying, what about you? How are you responding? Jeremiah, if you are not exercising your faith muscles now, then how are you going to be equipped to run the race down the road when the plot thickens? And it's going to thicken, my dear friends. He's saying, Jeremiah, these circumstances, would you think are out of control, are not out of control at all. I, a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, will show you just how in control I am. But Jeremiah, the issue is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to become hopeless, pessimistic, cynical, bitter, angry? Are you going to drop out of the race? Jeremiah, if you can't even run with footmen, how are you going to run with horses? Jeremiah, now's the time for you to exercise your faith muscles. Now's the time to say, oh, God, I don't get it, but you're still on the throne. Oh, God, you have enabled me to apply spiritual weaponry to the battles we face today. Oh, God, I am not going to become embittered, hopeless, cynical, and angry. For if I do, I betray to onlookers. I don't have any confidence in you. My fellow Christians, forgive me if I'm a little harsh here. We are fast becoming the most unattractive faith group on earth. Why? Because we're shriveling up under the pressure of a disintegrating world like everybody else. So we speak a good theology here, but we don't live it out there. We look mean. We look angry. We look cynical. We look hopeless. We don't want anything to do with other people, groups who are now in our country. We're disgusted. We're fed up. We want to burn down buildings. We want to bomb this one. What about? That's not, those are not the. The Bible says the battle is against the powers and principalities of the air. It's not against Washington, D.C. That's a skirmish. That's not the campaign, the cosmic campaign. 
is about entities in the air. And God, read Ephesians 6, has given us spiritual weaponry with which to deal with it. Jeremiah, if you're not exercising your faith muscles now in running the race with footmen, how are you going to run it? How are you going to have confidence in me? How are you going to be strong enough in the faith to trust me when the plot thickens? Jeremiah, you're in a land of peace. It's not the land you knew and liked. But doggone it, Jeremiah, you still move about freely through the land. You still praise to me, worship me, congregate with other believers. Jeremiah, if you can't cut the mustard, being hopeful and trusting in me in a land of peace, how are you going to do it in the thicket of the Jordan? I've been there. Jordan River, marsh grass grows along its shores. You ever try running through marsh? It's not, that's, that's the metaphor God is using. Folks, this is still a land of peace. When I got up this morning, a little groggy for sure, uh, and got in the car and drove to church, I didn't go through any checkpoints, fill out any paperwork, or need anybody's approval. Man, if I'm not cutting it, trusting God in a land of peace, if and when this ceases to be a land of peace, if it becomes the thicket of the Jordan, then how am I going to cut the mustard then? That is to say, trust God then. So God is saying, Jeremiah, you are so focused on what's going on around you, I want you to be focused on what's going on in you. How are you responding? Are you embittered? Are you hopeless? Are you angry? Are you just fit to be tired? Do you just want to... Jeremiah. That betrays a lack of trust and confidence in me. Jeremiah, use your spiritual weapons. Cry out to me. Pray. Stay true to the word of God. Don't be compromised and share the gospel. Every potential terrorist who is saved will cease to be a terrorist. Every Muslim darkened in his or her understanding with an anti-American, anti-Israel attitude is changed upon regeneration. You were, so was I. Every potential abortionist, everyone foisting upon us the legitimacy of the gay lifestyle changes when Jesus transforms their life. You can campaign against all these issues, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be a stand taken, but that doesn't change anyone. Protests, campaigns, bombings, and burning down buildings don't change anyone. In fact, it hardens people. But the gospel can soften a hardened heart. You're here in a hot room. (laughs) Why are you here? Jesus captivated your heart. The reason I think about marriage the way I do and the way I th- the reason I think about the sanctity of life the way I do and the reason I think about pornography and whatever it is, all these things, is not because I heard a series of sermons. It's because the Savior took up his abode in my life and we get the mind of Christ when that happens and that changes us, my dear friends. The world is filled with angry people, protesters, bombers, and haters. I don't think we're permitted the luxury of hate. We're the only ones who carry the message of reconciliation through which God is begging, be reconciled to God. And we're compromising our message because we're so caught up in the circumstances of the day. We're so sickened by it. We are quenching the Holy Spirit. Where's the love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control? Living proof of a loving God. Our gospel sharing is giving way to anger and bitterness and all the rest. 
those Muslims taking over a mosque in New York City. Do you think I'm thrilled about that? That's my hometown. Not at all. But the other way to look at it, if you're an ambassador for Christ, is, oh, my goodness, I don't have to go halfway around the world now to share the gospel with Muslim people. They're here. That's our agenda, dear folks. That's our agenda. It's an exciting day. It's a glorious day. We ought to say, oh, God, what an opportunity for gospel sharing like never before. That really convey. I'm, I'm working on memorizing verse five, because I want to exercise my faith muscles right now, so that they're strong enough to run with horses in the days ahead. If you can't trust me now, Jeremiah, how are you going to do it when things really get tough? See what he's saying? He didn't say be tough, Jeremiah. He said trust me now. Be strong in the strength of my might. Yeah. Verse 6. Even your brothers in the household, uh, they've dealt treacherously with you. You know what he's saying? Jeremiah, who can you trust but me? Sometimes not even your family members. Verse 7. Now, I want to ask you to do an exercise. Verse 7. Could you take a gander at verse 7 and see the way God refers to Israel? Uh, in verse 7. He refers to Israel in three ways. Could you, can you identify it and kind of yell it out? Okay, my house, uh, my inheritance, uh, and, and my beloved, the beloved of my soul. Three times a personal pronoun, my, my, my. Folks, here is a dad grieving at the waywardness of his kids but loving them so much that he's going to turn them over to disciplinary action. But not with an anger, not with a disdain, not with a hatred, not with a harshness. They're still my house. They're still my inheritance. They're still the beloved of my soul. Be careful about an increasing anti-Israel attitude. God doesn't have it. He's going to discipline the Jewish people for sure. But he's not giving up on them. Those are all possessive pronouns. My, my, my. Verse 8. My inheritance. Another reference to Israel. Has become to me like a lion in the forest. She's roared against me. Therefore, I have come to... Does your Bible say hate her? Yeah, mine too. So here's the deal. God adopts Israel. Blesses her. Singles her out from all other people, groups on earth. Bestows upon her great spiritual privilege. What does she do with it? She squanders it. She turns from God. She goes after false gods. In fact, she rebels against God like a roaring lion. She foists herself up as over against the God who rescued her as if she's a vicious lion. And he says, therefore, I've come to hate her. Now, be careful. In the Bible, there's something called hyperbole, which means truth stated in an exaggerated way so that we get the truth. For instance, New Testament, if your right eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. Is that literal? No. That is a figure of speech called hyperbole. 
its truth stated in such an extreme way that you get the message. If your eye, if what you're viewing is offending your soul, stop watching it. That's what it's saying. So to here, God is saying this, Israel, I chose to love you, but you foisted yourself up against me as a lion and thus robbed me of the love response I would have shown you. And now my response to you in comparison is as if I hate you. That's kind of what's going on. So God turns Israel over, in this case, to the Babylonians, not for destruction, as you shall see, but for deliverance and discipline. That's how he deals with all of his kids. Okay, so it goes on here. Verse 9, is my inheritance, again, it's a reference to Israel, is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? So there are there are really good hunters in this class, uh, and and I ain't one, but so I'm a I'm a little uh, sheepish about sharing my puny knowledge about this thing here. And and so hunters, please you set me straight here. You have many different birds of prey. If one is speckled, it's unusual, and stands out from the crowd of other birds of prey to such an extent that those birds of prey don't like the speckled one. See, it has unusual markings which distinguish it from the pack. So the pack turns on that unusual bird of prey. God is using it again as a metaphor with reference to Israel. Is my inheritance Israel like that? Like a speckled bird? Has she become so odd and unusual in her waywardness from me that the other birds of prey are against her on every side. Folks, verse 9, uh, in just a few words, explains the present uh, international situation with regard to the Middle East. Here, God says, Israel, I'm going to choose you, not because you're better than anyone. I'm going to choose you as a vehicle by which I prove my uh, grace and mercy to the world. That's what I'm going to do. But Israel, you have taken yourself out from my umbrella of protection. So you've put yourself out there looking as if you're a speckled bird of prey, thus inviting all the other birds of prey, all the other nations of the world, the Gentile nations of the world, to come against you and to devour you. And folks, that has happened internationally and is happening at a rapid clip today. The world alignment of nations is fast coming to be orchestrated still yet again as over against a dinky country the size of New Jersey called Israel. There's no rhyme, no reason to it. Don't you see the battle is against powers and principalities. It has nothing to do with geography or politics. Don't live there. There's nothing. That's small stuff. This is bigger stuff. Satan wants the land because he read the Bible and found out Jesus is coming back to it in a temple to be worshipped. Satan wants the worship. Therefore, he's got to get the land before Jesus does. It's a spiritual thing. It has nothing to do with politics. So you see the alignment of the nations from Russia to Iran to uh, Israel's surrounding nations and sadly and uh, increasingly the United States is changing its position with reference to Israel. That's going to put us in big jeopardy. Has God given up on Israel? Nope. This is what happens when a wayward child takes himself or herself out from the protective umbrella of the parent. The parent doesn't cease to love. 
The parent grieves, but the parent says, I must let you go if you insist on your way so that possibly out there through discipline and hard times you may return to me. It's the same thing any loving parent would do. God is no less loving than we are. So there's the international situation right there. Now verse 10 uh, through 11, uh, 12 describes um, people groups coming upon the land of Israel to devour it. Verse 13 uh, talks about how Israel has sown wheat but reaped thorns. Her labors are in vain, in other words. Verse 14, I'll get this one. Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel. What is the specific inheritance with which God has endowed Israel? What has God given specifically to Israel? Land. Started in Genesis 12, ratified throughout the Old and New Testaments. The land, the land. In fact, God gave the specific boundaries. You know, the western boundary, the Mediterranean Sea, the eastern boundary, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Spelled it out. It's not symbol. It's not metaphor. It's a literal parcel of land. He took a particular people, put them in a particular place so that a particular Messiah uh, would be birthed and usher in for the world a particular salvation. It's all part of God's plan. So it's the land. Now look at that. My wicked neighbors, those are the nations specifically around Israel, who strike at the inheritance with which I've endowed, who attack the land of Israel. Behold, I'm about to up. Remember, Jeremiah said, God, what are you doing? What's going on? And God essentially said, I'm doing something in you, first and foremost. And then secondly, now he's telling Jeremiah, I got the whole world in my hands, Jeremiah. Relax. Go to sleep already, would you? Because he's saying, look what I'm going to do to the nations that come against Israel. I'm, gonna, I'm about to uproot them from their land and will uproot the house of Judah from among them. Folks, since A.D. 70, when the Romans came against the land of Israel, the people were dispersed throughout the world, thrown out of the land. So you have Jews all over the world. But something happened in May of 1948. The modern state of Israel was constitutionally re-inaugurated. And Jews dispersed from all the world were now invited back to their homeland. So you got Jews from Yemen, Jews from Egypt, Jews from Russia, Jews from Tex Texas <laughs> uh, going to this particular land. And in the end times, God is going to fulfill it even more dramatically. He's saying, Jeremiah, relax. All the nations who come against my people and the land I gave them and in essence are coming against me, I'm going to uproot them from their lands and while I do that, I'm going to uproot Judah, Israel, from the lands in which they have now been dispersed, and I'm going to bring them back to their land. And one evidence of it was what happened in May of 1948. Yeah. So Jeremiah could relax. God's in control. So could we. Verse 15, it will come about after that. After It will come about that after I have uprooted them, after I have uprooted the nations, 
because of their stand against Israel. I will again have compassion on them. Look at that. I will have compassion on the nations who I have uprooted. And I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. When will that happen? Okay, I'm going to tell you what I am persuaded is the answer, and you don't have to buy it. This can only be fulfilled during a period of future time called the millennial reign of Christ. And there are increasing numbers of church people who deny it even exists. They say it's not literal. Millennium meaning 1,000 because it means when the Lord returns with us, he will establish a 1,000-year earthly reign on earth. It will be headquartered in Jerusalem in a temple rebuilt and from which the Lord Jesus will receive worship, not just from Israel, but the nations of the world. David even wrote about it. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And so, by the way, Satan knows all that, and that's why he's trying to stir up things in the Middle East the way, the way he is. So God says this. After a period of great outpouring of his wrath, called the Great Tribulation. Then God, a compassionate God, is going to move people into their set-aside, designated parcels of land. That's the millennial reign of Christ on earth. There is no such thing as a peace plan for the Middle East that leaves out the Prince of Peace. There is no such thing. It won't work. You can divide Jerusalem give East Jerusalem to the Palestinians and West Jerusalem is the capital to the Jews. The United States can continue to put pressure on Israel to give up more of its land, all the rest. Taint going to work. You cannot have peace without the Prince of... Do you have peace without Jesus in your heart? Well, how can the world have peace without Jesus in the world? Come on. So anyway, verse 16, then if they, the nations of the world will really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives. Even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, a false god, they will be built up in the midst of my people. If the Gentile nations of the world take the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the end times, if they do that, they will be built up. But, verse 17, if they will not listen then I will uproot that nation, uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. Listen to what a good God has done. One individual guy got his attention. So could you. You're just not lost in the crowd with with Almighty God. He knows you by name, loves you. Jeremiah cashed in on that. He said, God, then listen to me. I'm dying here. I don't get it. What are you doing? Things are out of hand. Are you kidding me? A whole state has just reversed a very legitimate proposition declaring same-gender marriage illegal. That whole state, California, reversed it. Many are rejoicing. Rejoicing. God is weeping. Hmm. Jeremiah, we say, God, what are you doing? What's up? And God doesn't say, pipe down, Jeremiah. He hears him out. And then God says, Jeremiah, let me change your focus. 
while you're reading the headlines, I'm reading you. Don't talk to me how, about how I'm responding to the headlines. I want to ask you about how you're responding to the headlines. Have you lost sight of me in all this? Are you a grumpy, cynical, embittered, angry Christian? Well, that betrays you don't think your daddy's on the throne, do you? Jeremiah, it's about you and how you respond to life. Don't talk to me about life. I'm talking to you about you. Jeremiah, if you can't hack it here, if you can't see me now, you're going to really lose sight of me when the plot thickens. Okay, now, Jeremiah, now that we dealt with that, I'm going to give you a glimpse into what I'm doing because you asked me, and this is what I'm doing. Jeremiah, I put a particular people in a particular land to reveal a particular Messiah, to usher in a particular salvation so that anybody who believes on him will be saved. And Jeremiah, I'm protecting all that, not with blood, sweat, and tears. The blood has been shed. Now I just simply sit on the throne. Jeremiah, you're getting all laddered up. I'm not losing a wink of sleep. I'm laughing at the nations who mock me. Relax. Abba Father is in control. And Jeremiah, this is what I'm going to I'm telling you what I'm doing through you, and now I'm going to tell you what I'm doing in the world. And he gives Jeremiah a glimpse of an international scenario you're never going to read in the New York Times or the Houston Chronicle or on Fox or CNN. You've got to get it here in the Bible. And God said, Jeremiah, I'm going to take you into the future just to show you how it's going to work out. I'm dealing with all the nations who have turned against me. But I'm compassionate, and those who repent will dwell securely in their land. And I'm going to gather Israel from every nation of, of the world, and I'm going to fulfill my promises to them. And you need to see that, because if you don't think I fulfilled my promises to them, you're going to doubt whether I'm going to fulfill them to the church. And I am. I'm going to hang on to my people. I'm going to preserve them as salt and lie. I'm going to save them from beginning to end in a saved people will worship me forevermore from earthly Jerusalem for a thousand years and then from new Jerusalem throughout eternity. Jeremiah, relax. Go to sleep. Be filled with good news. Be a contagious Christian, not a grumpy Christian. Anyone could get angry. Anyone could campaign. Anyone could protest. Anyone could. I didn't say don't do these things. I'm just saying... If you do those as your primary weaponry, then the spiritual weaponry which you and I have been given is just going to get dusty and rusty. What's the spiritual weaponry? Read Ephesians 6. You know what God says? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. You know what we ought to be doing? Oh, God, bless us with a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit so that the church gets revived. And so that people get infected by a revived church. Yeah, that's what we ought to be praying. We ought to use the news. You see a personality on the news who you have great disdain for. You ought to pause right then and say, Oh God, as you mercifully softened my heart, soften that guy's heart. Oh God, he is savable. And you came to seek and save the lost. You desire for all to be saved, for none to be perished. It has nothing to do with party affiliation or platform or this or that. Good night. Nobody has the mind of Christ apart from Christ. 
Therefore, save that person whose mind is darkened and understanding. And God, if that person rejects salvation, then judge that person in keeping with your holiness and will. That's what we ought to be doing. That's a spiritual attack. That's weaponry that we can use. Otherwise, oh my goodness, we are grotesquely unattractive. (laughs) We look like a bunch of insecure, unsettled, orphaned children whose dad is not the most high God. One time a rabbi said to me, I don't like you, Stuart. He said, you don't worry about Israel the way you ought to. And I said, hang on, Rabbi. I'm not exactly thrilled about you either. (laughs) And you're partially right. I don't worry about Israel's destiny. Because the book you ought to know about already told me that God's going to take care of Israel. I don't need to worry. The fact that you're worrying, telling me, is telling me you probably don't even know the God of Israel. Interestingly, that was our last conversation. <laughs> Never could figure that. So you know, I didn't say don't be concerned. I didn't say don't be affected. I'm just saying as soon as you find yourself being affected and getting swallowed up, and as soon as you, you, you find the fruit of the Spirit getting quenched and extinguished in your life, then you say, oh, God, for a minute I got distracted from you, the Most High God. I failed to see you as the most high in the crowd of life. I see you waving your hand. Stuart, Stuart, Jeremiah, look at me, look at me. Don't forget me. I'm in control. I'm in control. Nobody's calling the shots. And I'm your dad. Just tell them about me. Just tell them about me. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't say we should mamby-pamby and cease our biblical convictions. I didn't say that. We cannot compromise truth. We must treat, preach every single word of what the Bible says. That too is a spiritual weapon. I'm just saying, oh, these Muslims, don't you? Hey, they're taking over this, that, and everything. Good night. You don't have to travel to Saudi Arabia now. They're your neighbor. They're your classmate. Show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. They don't have Jesus. Allah did, can't save them. Muhammad can't save them. The Savior can save them. Huh? Why not somebody else if you? All right. I'm, I'm done. All right. Anyway. Thanks for hanging in there. This is a great day because everything's falling apart. That's why it's great. Everyone's shaky. Nobody sleeps. Everyone has anxiety, panic disorders, and interrupted sleep patterns. Isn't this great? (laughs) Share peace with Jesus. That's what I'm getting at. Nothing's lasting anymore. A college graduate is not guaranteed a job anymore. A long-term employee in a company who thought he'd be there for life gets laid off. Uh, There are diseases and things, even with our unbelievable state of medical practice here, we can't even figure out. Everything is unbelievably on the rise. Young people, old people, from cancer to heart disease to uh, Alzheimer's. The economy? How's your retirement fund? Social Security? The government has already announced. Within certain years, 
th- those dr- a few, few years, those drawing on it are going to exceed what's going into it. Then something's going to have to be done. It's not going to be there. What? Everyone's counted on Social Security. No, you can't. This is a great day. The options with regard to what you lean on are being uh, taken away. Here's an option. Jesus is the rock. Don't you see the opportunities we have to tell people about that more? You can't do that when everything's cool. When America's prosperous, nobody listens. When America is becoming impoverished, ah, you may have a listening ear. That's God's agenda. It's not comforts. It's salvation. A comfortable person is less prone to want to be saved. A shaken up person is looking for steadiness and settledness in a rock. And you can look him in the eye and say, I have no answers to the economy, to this, to that, to anything. I'm uncertain about more than ever. But I'm certain about this. Once I was blind. Now I see things I never imagined. And let me tell you what I see. I see a sovereign God who surely created the world but didn't abandon it then. He remained on the one hand the most high God and yet he came near by becoming enfleshed in the person of Jesus Christ. He had to do it. I couldn't get to him. He came to me. He came to you. He satisfied a debt we could not pay. We've all violated God's commandments. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever coveted? Yeah, me too. What are you going to do? God's holiness doesn't mix with that. Jesus came to build a bridge between the two of us. First, a penalty had to be paid. God can't forgive sin unless it's paid for. Jesus paid it all. It gets even better. He didn't only give us a pardon if we accept it. He gave us adoption. I call God my father now. He calls me his son. Wouldn't you want that? Yeah, but I'm a Muslim. Yeah, but I'm a Jew. Yeah, but I'm a Catholic. Yeah, but... Fine, we can get to that later. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and this creator God. We talk religion later. What a message. You don't get it on CNN. You don't get it on Fox. You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. Why? Because it's supposed to be given by us. Don't be so lathered up about the messages you're getting elsewhere. Who cares? Those messages don't do anything. This is the message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To all who believe, to the Jew first, please don't forget that part. It's in the Bible. And also to the Gentile. Yes, that's what it says. That's how God worded it. All right. Exciting days for Christians. Lord Jesus, thanks for using Jeremiah's discussion as an opportunity to educate us. You're quite active, aren't you? Quite involved, quite loving, quite redemptive, quite holy. Oh, my goodness. Forgive us for thinking we're more lathered up by wickedness today than you are. Oh, my goodness. Forgive us for thinking you're not active Forgive us for thinking you won't judge. Forgive us for thinking you're not sovereign and in control. Forgive us for being sometimes more affected by the messages of the world than the world is by the message you've entrusted to us. 
as if God through us is beseeching, be reconciled to God. That's our singular, transforming, life-changing message. May it not be extinguished under the weight of circumstances in the world today. Oh God, if we don't exercise our faith muscles now, how will we be able to look to you later when the burner is turned up? Oh God, thank you for purifying us, strengthening us, embracing us, authoring and finishing our salvation. Now help us to function as salt and light. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. Have a good day.